The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I want my kids to know that I failed, like I want them to look up to me and whatnot. And I think we all have that in our gut. But if going back to unintended consequences, if your child doesn't think that you've ever failed, and we all know that we have, and then they experience some form of failure, they now see themselves as very distinct and separate from their parents. And um, that their life is, you know, perhaps irrevocably damaged because they're, my, my dad never failed, my mom never failed, and I just failed. Gosh, I guess I'm doing this whole life thing wrong. You are listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. I am so glad that you're here, and uh, whether you are on your walk or on your commute right now, I am just honored that you are tuning into this show. And I'm excited to share this particular episode with you because I think it's going to revolutionize how you raise your children. And I don't say that lightly. Um, I'm speaking with Holly and Chris Santillo. They are backpackers who are traveling all over the world with their three boys. Um, They have a blog called The Five Backpacks Family. And they also just wrote a book called Resilience Parenting. And it's all about Um, how to raise children that are connected to others, including you as the parent, but also independent so that when they leave home, they can go out and conquer the world and they're not dependent on you to survive like so many people out there right now. And it's not anything to say against the parents who are raising their kids this way. I think it's all done out of good intention and love. Um, But after listening to this episode, I think you're going to have some really strong takeaways for doing things a little bit differently. Um, It might seem a little more hardcore initially, but in the end, your children are going to thank you for it because they're going to be strong and they're going to be able to go out into the world and handle all that life throws at us, um, which is, you know crucial to our success and to your success. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Of course, please share it with a friend if you think they might benefit from it. Um, And of course, leave us a review if you haven't already. Thanks guys and enjoy the episode. This episode is sponsored by Motherhood Unstressed CBD. Yes, I created a CBD line last year and it's been doing incredibly well. We are in stores all across the country and we are helping people feel better and less stressed. Think about it. When you're not stressed and not anxious, you are so much more able to take on the day, to be kinder, to be more empathetic, to be more creative. When you take out that weight off of your shoulders, there's really nothing you can't do. And you do it with a smile on your face and a kind heart. Um, That's why I had to get into the CBD business because it changed my life dramatically. And I just felt amazing. So that's what I'm sharing with you guys. You can find us in select stores across the country, which are listed on the website, or you can just buy direct from the website at motherhoodunstressed.com. Well, hello guys. Welcome to the Motherhood Unstressed podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. Before we get going, I always like to uh, orient our audience. Where are you right now? We are in Badlands National Park, and we are hiding in a corner of the bed and breakfast we're staying in and hoping that no one else wanders into this room to play ping pong at any moment. And just to be clear, get to give a little edge to the story, we are sleeping in an 1880s homestead. Uh, I woke up with a tick in my sleeping bag this morning and mouse poop all over stuff. 
So yes, right now we're in the really nice part, but yeah, we're cheating. Talk with you, we're cheating because we came to kind of like the main house of this. <laughs> Wow. So to kind of give everyone a little bit of background about you, you are completely nomadic now. You're homeschooling your children. Take us through how that all came about. Oh, my gosh. Um, Well, just like all good stories, it's becoming legend, and we're not really sure where the truth lies anymore, but it's it's somewhere in between his point of view and mine. Um, We thought, let's, let's do something different than where we are, you know, not just be accidentally here in the mainstream barreling down, but try something new. Uh, And not only that, this is something we thought if we had it all to do over again, instead of just rushing right off into college, again, with the the mainstream, we would have taken a couple years to find out exactly what it is we wanted to do on this planet by exploring the planet. So, And even before this trip, um, just our choice to homeschool, and obviously it doesn't make sense for everybody, and, and it uh, it's not uh, for everybody, just kind of stems from the fact that we really like our kids, and we enjoy them, and we enjoy being around them, and we like being part of their accomplishments and their growth and their development. And so homeschooling for us, because we, with our foundation as educators made so much sense because it was just another way for us to connect with our kids a little bit more, spend more time together, and, uh, you know, and kind of cherish these years that we have together. Indeed. So beautiful. I love that. I love that perspective. And I think it's something that a lot of people aspire to and they want that, but they just don't take that leap, you know, that final decision where they're selling everything and, and becoming completely nomadic. Do you remember the moment where you decided to like, yes, this is what we're going to do. And we're not afraid. I remember the many moments when Chris said, I really think we're never, ever going to do it. I don't think we're ever going to do it. I said, babe, we're going to do it. We were driving back. I do remember distinctly we did a, a, uh, we were living in DC before um, and we did a road trip kind of to the the Northeast up to like New York. And we uh, visited Albany and we did an homage to, uh, to uh, Hamilton. We went to the, what was it? His, um, his wife's uh, father's, the Schuyler house, the Schuyler house yeah. and, and we went camping and we went to a, a seminar that I was interested in and uh, visited some friends for the 4th of July. Just this wonderful, like well-rounded road trip, educational, entertaining, outdoorsy, you know, everything you could hope for kind of trip uh, over the course of a couple of weeks. And we were driving. Oh, near-death experience. Oh, near-death experience. That's an important <gasps> part of good road trip. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Almost killed all. You know, it was minor. <laughs> it was no big deal. And, uh, controlled near-death experience. I think near-death makes it sound bigger than it is. We just almost all like died of dehydration because we went <laughs> without any water. Oh my God. Was, you shouldn't do Not that. Not recommended. No. Like, I, I don't know no. if you do camping, uh, uh, survival tips on your, uh, in your podcast. <laughs> but don't go camping without water. And, um, but we were driving back from that. And I think we were actually rushing back, like driving overnight with the kids sleeping in the back seat so that we could yeah, um, right. get back in time for real life. And I kind of turned mm. on, you know, why are we going back? And we finally concluded it was because, you know, we had a, a house and a business and responsibilities and, you know, certain math, if you will. Um, and then we spent the next couple of years trying to remedy all of those. I think the problems. moment that you're asking about was the moment Chris sat down with his team of martial arts teachers and said, this is what I want to do. And I think wow. you guys are going to do great without me. And they are. Yeah. I'm not sure they noticed I left. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. So let's dive into why we're here right now, what we're going to talk about for the audience. Um, you wrote a best-selling book and talk to us about why this particular topic, resilience parenting 
was so important for you to get out into the world? And before that, what is resilience parenting? Okay. Well, we were just chatting with a a gentleman downstairs who has a similar mission. It was so good to hear from another perspective that um, the generation of children who are up and coming seem to be struggling in ways that they shouldn't have to be struggling because well, you have to contextualize it. He oh. spoke of it so positively. He's a, he's a pastor he did. He and did. he spoke of so positively about all of these millennials and how gratifying it is to work with them. And we finally, which was a really positive spin on it. Yeah. And it's because they need so much help. <laughs> yeah. And so he really enjoys working with all of these, these millennials yeah. who desperately need as much guidance and mentorship as possible because they didn't necessarily get it during their childhood. So, but he said it so positively. Yeah, I know he was, he was lovely. Um, so right. That we have, or at least these kids seem to have everything that they need, you know, all the tools ostensibly to go out and conquer the world in their own way. Um, and yet are scared and on their parents' sofas or on the flip side are so disconnected from their parents that they walk out the door as soon as they possibly can and long before they're ready to conquer the world and end up kind of falling short. So So our message is really with this idea of uh, connectedness and independence and that we all have are on these spectrums and uh, and the we feel that society is making a, making a false dilemma of the whole concept and that we do not in fact have to choose between uh, connection and independence, but rather we can develop both of them uh, in parallel and, and should. And so I feel that there are some families, as, as Holly was talking about, there are some families where um, they are protecting their child from, or their children from, uh, from scary situations, from dangerous situations, from uh, rejection, from disappointment, failure. from failure, all of the things that help us kind of, that are necessary uh, for developing independence. And, uh, and then there are other families where they just, they, they have all of that independence, but they've, they've accomplished it by, by kind of shutting off and, and requiring kids to kind of fend for themselves. Right. Why do you think so many parents fail to find that, that sweet balance on that spectrum between connectedness and independence? We, so we took a couple stabs at why culturally it happens. Um, and then the book addresses how parents can combat it. So maybe the answer to your question is, is the opposite. Um, it's that parents tend to act as disciplinarians or maybe as friends towards their, their children. Um, we tend in our worst moments, you know, and this is us too, by the way, we are parents and we, we commit these, um, these errors that we all know to be errors. We bribe and we cajole or we, we shake our finger and <laughs> clench our fists at our kids, you know, do what I say because I said it's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which, and, and on the flip side, what, which, what? Which, which works in the short term. For it the does. <laughs> and when you're tired, it, it's very gratifying, but it just doesn't create the long-term changes and, and growth that we want in, for our children. Yeah. So we, we want to encourage people to try parenting in, in the way that we found to be most long-lasting, long-lastingly effective. And that's to be a teacher to your children. But as to like the, the systemic, like, why is this going on in our culture now? We don't have a really good answer. You know, the only theory that we have, and this is just theory, is that if you go back 50 years, 100 years, uh, the average person's life was much more challenging. There were a lot more chores mm-hmm. to be done. There was a lot more work to be done. A lot, lot more was expected. 
protected uh, of children. Uh, when my father was 18 years old, uh, he was just off you go. And he worked his way through college because the resources, of the family were tight enough that the idea of uh, supporting, uh, you know, a child was, was difficult enough. The idea of a, uh, supporting an adult was just was uh, ridiculous. And so he went off and he worked his way through college and, and went on. And now a greater and greater percentage of uh, the American population is able to uh, support their children comfortably uh, past their 18th year. And so I think they mistakenly do. A larger percentage of our population is able to pay to uh, eat at restaurants, to pay housekeepers, to, uh, mm. to, you know, to do all of these things that were formerly chores and expectations of children. Um, are now being done by other people because of affluence. And it's super ironic, of course, because we all like our, our housekeepers and we like our, our restaurants and we like our, our, our affluence to the degree that we each have it. Um, but I think that one of the unintended consequences is if we stopped expecting things of our children. Mm -hmm. And when we stopped expecting things of our children, they stopped being able to do things, which, isn't, uh, which isn't, shouldn't be surprising. And then we have to do yeah. things. At, we're, as we said, we're at this uh, B&B and this is a functioning ranch here in the Badlands. And the 10-year-old, I think it's 10 It gets to 40 degrees below zero here, you know, in the winter. And the, the, the host has the, the hosts have three children. And the 10-year-old pulled up in a four-wheeler and, uh, and went out to, uh, to, to bottle feed the calf. Oh, and he pulled up in the four-wheeler because he was helping the 80-year-old woman staying here because she couldn't take the stairs. You know, it wasn't wow. just the chores, but also a, a connectedness to understanding other people's needs and... And he's a, you know, Fantastic if you want to talk kids. about, uh, yeah, if you want to talk about a resilient child, the, the children that we, we've met here are just, just wonderful. And they, they're doing their responsibilities and they're friendly and they're kind and they're outgoing and they have a, they exude a confidence that you don't always see in children. That yeah. Mean, Interacting beautiful. with adults and children alike, just like we'd want our kids to be. So they are, they are the epitome of what we think kids are, are unfortunately not being, but can be, you know, right. so what is it? What's this recipe here? I don't know. I think getting, getting to be part of the, the work and then right here with their families, they do go to school. Um, he said he hates school <laughs> all the time. Um, but yeah, we would suggest that, that these parents you should are probably raise doing your some... kids on a ranch. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we all need to go back to ranching. There, that's a wrap. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And that's really, I mean, that leads perfectly into my next question is for the people who, you know, are living typical American lives, you know, going to work, their kids are in school. What are at least three things that they can do to nurture that kind of resilient child to, to grow that without moving to a ranch necessarily? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a fair, fair question. Because <laughs> we're not all going to, right? And we aren't all going to pick up and sell our homes to to live travel around the world. Well, we think it's important that parents not be afraid to let their kids fail. Um, and, and that might just be the number one thing, right? And, and it starts so early. Um, you you got to be able to let your kid fall and scrape his or her knee and not run. You know, they're going to look at you <laughs> and say, now what, mom? What does this mean? Mm -hmm get on up, kiddo, <laughs> or not even say a thing, right? And then running parallel with that is we need to be very comfortable with our children knowing about our failures. Is that we need to be very comfortable letting our children not just know, you know, and then I went to this school and I got this job and I, and I got this promotion, you know, and, and you can be successful too, but rather say, and there was this time I applied for this job and I didn't get this. And then I, I tried out for the school play and I didn't, or I did, and then I did a terrible job, um, <laughs> you know, or the, the business that I founded and how it went bankrupt and whatnot. That's, that's a true one. And, um, 
and all of the things that have gone wrong in our lives, because it is an imperative that, um, and, I, and we talked to this, this one resonates with a lot of people that we've spoken with. Um, uh, I can see a lot of eyes widen when we say this sometimes. It's just like, well, I don't want my kids to know that I failed. Like I want them to look up to me and whatnot. And I think we all have that in our gut, but it's going back to unintended consequences. If your child doesn't think that you've ever failed, and we all know that we have, and then they experience some form of failure, they now see themselves as very distinct and separate from their parents. And um, that their life is, you know, perhaps irrevocably damaged because they're, my, my dad never failed, my mom never failed, and I just failed. Gosh, I guess I'm doing this whole life thing wrong. And if they know, wait, oh, my mom didn't, at this and she failed at this and my dad failed at this um that uh and they turned out just fine um that uh, that they can be comfortable with that but failure does not define us it's an event it's not a person and um and i think that's important not only letting them fail but making sure that they they contextualize that by sharing your own failures with them Alan, i really liked what you wrote on your introduction to your website that you were tired of trying to be perfect mm. it's a purposeless goal. And by, by sharing those kinds of things with our children, they will, yes, they're going to see us as human and they, they might doubt the next time that we try to uh, tell them what to do. Like, Ooh, is that really the right answer? I still know more than they do. (laughs) I'm not, I'm still 30 plus years of additional life experience that they don't have. So I still, I don't have any problem with that. And I'm bigger and stronger. Don't forget that. But it's (laughs) it's a true relation, trying to create a relationship on, a perfect parent is not true. Yeah. No, I think that's so accurate. And like when you were speaking, it was completely resonating with me. Um, because again, like I grew up in a household where I, I, my parents were perfect. You know, they, they always had this air about them. So if you messed up, I mean, it was like the end of the world. And for me, looking back at that now as like, you know, woke or whatever, I'm like, oh, like I understand why they did it that way. But I think a lot of the time I could have bounced back faster if I would have had that grace for myself and been like, oh, you know, it's okay. You know, it's okay. You're, you know, this happens. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely taking that away from this interview, at least, to do that more for my children and to be a little more authentic and real with them about things I maybe have failed at in life, you know, and that it's, it's okay. You're going to be okay. Just keep pushing. So you talk a lot. I loved your book, actually. I read it on the plane to Colorado Springs a couple of weeks ago, and I was just loving every single page. Um, I like how you talk a lot about dependency. So can you dive in a little bit about that and why dependency is not necessarily a good thing? Sure, absolutely. Um, so we talk about you know independent and we talk about connected, and then we talk about... Um, you know, what, what I think is commonly called codependence, um, that if a, if a person, you know, whether this is a husband and wife or a, a child and parent or, or friends or, you know, any relationship, if two people are well connected, but they can't function independent of the other, that that's not a healthy relationship, that that's codependent. And so when we raise this child who is, you know, dependent on us, who uh, loves us and is connected with us and, and shares all of their deepest, closest feelings, but they can't go out into the world and, and interact separate from us, then we've created this very unhealthy codependence. And, um, and that's what we need to combat. And, and we kind of brushed against it earlier that, that I think that there is a belief that if you give your kids this independence so that they aren't dependent on you, I need new words, I need more synonyms, um, 
then uh, then you won't have that connection. But I would argue, in fact, that uh, the greatest connection that you can have with another person is only possible um, to the extent that you you're both independent. It, it, I think it puts a a, a pale over your uh, a pall, excuse me, uh, over your relationship if it if it only exists um, if it's necessary. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. That. Um, if uh, if my child knows that they can't survive without me, uh, then we we aren't really having a unique, two independent, healthy people coming together, which I know sounds counterintuitive. Yeah, no, it's it's true. <laughs> it says my independent and strongly connected wife. There you go. So Every time parent- I talk about that, I think to myself, I really need to know all of our bank passwords. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you do, lady. <laughs> I have a lot of friends who have that situation. Like their kids are, they're still young. They're three to four years old. Um, but it's like they can't even go and play by themselves in the next room. So what would you say to them? What, what are some actionable steps that they can take? Okay. We, we've seen it a lot in the studios, right? That, that's kind of our, um, our laboratory, so to speak, of, of learning about parenting and seeing the things that, that work and that don't work. Parents are really quick to explain, to give the children terms for, for their behavior that in the end are going to sabotage them. I hear it all the time. So, oh, you're shy right now. Okay, you're shy. And now the, now the child is identifying that's who I am, I must be shy. And being shy is what this feeling is of, I don't wanna go in there and talk to them. And not only that, it's not just a feeling, but it's, it's my person. Well, and, and further, they're big. getting uh, reinforced positive attention to the, oh, how, because there's a cuteness to being shy. And so by behaving in this antisocial way, uh, they're actually getting the attention that they crave. And young children, we all know this, young children don't uh, distinguish between positive and negative attention. They mm. just want attention. But our, our part of our responsibility is to teach them to only seek attention in positive ways. And the easiest way to teach your children to only seek attention in positive ways is to never give attention for negative behavior. And being shy is a negative behavior. It's not evil. It's not bad. It's just not a, it's an antisocial behavior. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, I, I'm parenting older children now, but I get flashbacks of, of what it used to be every now and then. No. I remember it being so important to pre-frame, is, is the word we'd use in teaching, pre-frame what it was we were going to experience. So if it, if it happened in the car, okay, or maybe even better face-to-face, here's what we're about to do, children. We're going to walk in, and there's going to be a room full of people you've never met. And there are probably going to be toys over in this corner and probably some things that you're interested in doing. And you're going to have a couple choices about what it is you want to do. And you might be feeling this way. You might be feeling that way. But I want you to understand, like, this is the situation. So they don't walk in and just get kind of blindsided, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. I found that hugely important. And I know p- parents of young kids, like, find this really useful, right? The kids just don't like feeling that they're being pulled along through this day completely like towed by a, a rope behind a boat <laughs> you have no idea what you're gonna hit like yeah. give them a ski to stand on right um let them know what they're in for uh and that's that's just like your lesson for the day it's your you're preparing well them. and then from there you can start creating expectations so you know we're going to this dinner party and there's going to be the joneses are going to be here and the and Susie and her wife is going to be here and whatnot and um and our expectation is you're going to ask questions of them 
and you're going to interact with them. So let's practice and let's ask what are some questions? Well, you know, the Joneses are from Massachusetts. That's all we know about the Joneses. Well, what are some questions you can ask the Joneses from Massachusetts? What's Massachusetts like? You know, and so where's Massachusetts? You know, can I have a Massachusetts too? Uh, and so in the car, we can, you know, or in the afternoon before the dinner party, we could be, you know, practicing and rehearsing and uh, like we say, rep it out. Well, you know, if you want to get good at something, you need to do repetitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can practice. Okay, I'll pretend to be Mr. Jones and you ask me a question about Massachusetts and we'll talk about this. And so now we walk into that, uh, the dinner part prepared and able rather than all of a sudden all eyes turn to this four-year-old and say, mm-hmm. okay, now be clever and interesting and everybody's looking at you and we want to... They don't know how. They don't we know haven't how. taught them. We need to practice. And, and then, then all we, of a sudden yeah. we're expecting them to pull something out and they have no idea what to do. Well, of course they're... They're going to fail. And then we have to find this very delicate balance. And this is one of the hardest balancing acts is finding the uh, turning to, you know, little Johnny or little Susie and saying, um, uh, you're X years old and it is a perfectly reasonable expectation for me to expect you to walk up and shake hands with this individual that I'm asking you to say hi to and look them in the eye and say your name and, uh, and expect or to not that, behind my, behind my legs or, you know, whatever right, that I'm expecting mm-hmm. that, you know, as an age appropriate way without turning it into this giant fight that we're going to have over this versus, you know, yeah. well, you better do this or else. And now we're just making it harder and harder and worse and worse and finding, um, you know, we, we have a whole chapter on this in the book is finding, uh, age appropriate developmentally appropriate challenges that are challenging but not overwhelming mm-hmm. and if i put you in a position where uh and challenge you you this is gonna be a little hard it's gonna be a little uncomfortable but you're gonna stretch outside your comfort zone and you're gonna do this and you're gonna succeed and that's gonna be one more tiny victory under your belt versus if i say okay you're four years old and i want you to get up on this stage and read this you know monologue from shakespeare to this audience of a thousand people um and you're going to be terrified and cry about it. And it's going to be this negative experience. And so we want to find, and it's difficult sometimes um, to identify, but to the extent that we are attentive and know our children, we can find those experiences. But the, we're always looking for the challenges. I, I, again, I need another synonym. It's the exactly, opportunities yeah. that are challenges, uh, that are challenging, but not overwhelming. That's exactly what I wanted to speak to. And a lot of times the kids are going to bring those to us themselves. So we want to be alert to the opportunities where suddenly they are taking an interest. It didn't come from us in something that's going to help them grow, recognize it and seize wow. it and, and go with it. So we were, um, you asked back, back little ways, you know, what do we do for these, these kids in the city and we're working normal jobs. And um, well, we were just taking a walk in, in a park and my kids saw a tree that had fallen across the river and it was every time she tells this story i worry that someone's going to call cps <laughs> it all worked out fine they won't be able to find you <laughs> we started with three kids we still have three kids good to go so the the tree fell across the river and it stretched to this little sandbar in the middle and of course to to three young boys in the woods like this is this is it we've got to mm-hmm. go and so they asked we try this out and I sat down with them first and said, okay, it looks a little dangerous, which it did. You know, the river was going fast, but it didn't look deathly dangerous, which is why I said yes. And I said, what are you going to do if you fall? You know, let's plan for this. And so we came up with some answers. They said, I will grab a branch. And I'm looking around and not seeing a lot of branches. This is like an enormous trunk. But <laughs> um, People listening to the podcast cannot see you know, my arm gestures. Arm gestures. An enormous trunk. Uh, she made a large gesture with her hands. 
And then, and then I said, well, what if that doesn't work? And they finally got to the idea of needing to stand up, right? And it's always better if you can help the kids find answers themselves yeah. rather than just provide it. Going back to parents as teachers, they, you know, dictators and uh, people of authority just tell you and, yeah. and uh, the teachers help you find the light. So they had their answers, they're, they're equipped to go, and sure enough, splash, <laughs> my six-year-old falls right in. And he did manage to find a branch to grab onto, and he was struggling. And this is the moment in which parents, um, ourselves included, often fail to do our best. Well, we rush in to save them. Yeah, what we're tempted to do is go save our child's life. And, and Holly's message here is that's not always the right choice. Again, let them save their own life. Mm. And so what happens? (laughs) (laughs) I told you, I gave away the ending. We still have three kids. I know, I know, but he was uncomfortable. Are you, he was panicking um, and his brothers gave him the answer, which I also thought was pretty cool. Uh, Instead of me, they had, they had learned and they're like, remember, you got to find your feet. And he did. And he came up sopping wet and boy, he will tell you this story with a lot of pride because he saved himself. It, and not only that, but we were able to tie it into, you know, good literature that we read. read. It was just like when Laura Ingalls fell in the creek, Seth, and she mm-hmm. pulled herself out. Do you remember that? And um, like, you really, you, you assess the situation. Yeah, you go to a, you a realize dinner party the danger. and you give him an opening and he will, he will That's tell the story. He's, he's, <laughs> right. So that wrap up is really important too. You know, when, when the kids do come out behind your legs, then you want to, yeah. So you don't want to reward them for the things you don't want them to do, right? And then you do want to to highlight, you know, spotlight them. That was amazing when you did that. Do you realize what this means? Give it, give it something beyond just you. You stepped up behind my legs, but you just showed the world what a wonderful person you are. And they wouldn't have had that opportunity if you weren't brave like that. And one of the things we talk about in the book is the power of uh, stories for teaching. And whether it comes from great literature or, or you know, a great movie or, or from our own lives or from our children's lives. And that once we kind of um, take that story, we make it part of our, our family culture, then we can learn from it again and again. So, you know, this story, you know, has been, you know, talked out a dozen times and we get to em- emphasize and uh, underscore the lessons again and again. You know, we can talk about, you know, what Odysseus did in the Odyssey and we can talk about what Laura Ingalls did and, you know, in her books and whatnot. And we can talk about Narnia and we can talk about, you know, all these, um, the choices that Harry Potter had to make. And, uh, you know, and we can, and we can learn from those and whatnot, but the most powerful ones, of course, are the ones that come from our children's lives that they were there mm-hmm. and they experienced and they saw what happened and they were part of it and say, you know, what did, you know, and for the other boys as well, so, you know, what did, what did this brother do? And, and, uh, you know, what would you have done? And did he make the right choice and how can we do better? And, and we can keep learning from it. We don't have to just learn from it that one moment. We can talk about it again, but it's our responsibility as parents to draw those lessons out and say, now we're going to talk about this a little bit. Remember how that thing that happened two weeks ago, this is a good example. And both the good and the bad, the failures and the successes. Uh, you mentioned it, again, in your intro, just so beautifully written about being present focused and in order to do all these things, we, we have to see them happen when they happen, mm-hmm. right? We have to, yeah, not only be prepared and, and get those kids ready, but when they do succeed or when they do fail, we need to know that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that would be my next question, kind of to put a bow on everything. For the parent who feels like they're just kind of surviving right now, how do they move into a teacher mindset? 
to bring out the best in their children? Is there a phrase that you would say to them to remember or some kind of mantra? How can they slide into that right mindset when it's happening, when they need it the most? Okay. And it's not going to come from us. It's going to come from, from you, the parent who's listening right there. Before that moment of crisis happens, sit down, like whatever quiet moment you can find. And I'm sorry for if you're still in those days when it's at four o'clock in the morning and your baby finally just went back to sleep (laughs) and you're wide awake, take that moment and start thinking about what your values are, what the things, what things are most important to you, list them all out and, and have for your family, a credo. This is our personal mission as a family. Our last one was really centered around gratitude. And the the phrase that comes out more often than not from our credo is, um, remember, we're supposed to be acting with generosity, patience, and kindness. That's Mm. our mission. And um, so in those times of crisis, we can say, were we acting with generosity, patience, (laughs) (laughs) what part of our credo might we have been neglecting there? Or, or in times of success, you know, being able to draw upon those words that we came up together as a family um, so that it's not something you have to, uh, it's not something you have to create in the moment, right? Because that's mm-hmm. not going to happen in those times of stress. In the times of stress, you become the parent we all don't like, and myself included, of the, the shouting and the just panic. Versus, I know, mm-hmm. I know this. It's already internalized because I've said it three times a day for an entire year. Yeah. I know, I know what we need to be. And then I think another part of it is, is just understanding how worth it it is. And I know that that sounds trite, but um, investing in our, our children's development is the greatest uh, thing that we can do for them. But, in a, but also selfishly, it's the, one of the greatest things that we can do for us. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you mentioned this, this trip. The, the reason that we have three, uh, can I plug our blog? Our, it's uh, <laughs> uh, fivebackpacks.family. Uh, because we're each allocated one backpack and the kids have to carry all their own weight. Um, and, uh, and we're going to go across country. We're going to go into Asia and in the winter we'll head down to South America and whatnot. And, you know, the reason that, that these are, that these things are possible, we have fun stories about arriving in Dublin and, and, uh, and with, you know, like an hour and a half of sleep and sleep of the Dublin uh, airport and then, and then um, on a street, and then a street <laughs> well we took the as, as uh, our middle child likes to tell the story we were awake enough to find the bus but we weren't awake enough to get on the right bus so we got on the wrong <laughs> bus and headed to the wrong part of Dublin and then I was too stubborn to get a taxi because um, they obey laws in Ireland so you can't put five people plus a driver in a taxi so I'm just like just walk it's only five miles so we walked for I'm sorry five kilometers so five kilometers with our backpacks through downtown Dublin and then we can't find the Airbnb because it just doesn't seem to exist. And I, we drop our packs and we're running around. It just drags on and on. And we finally get somewhere at like three in the afternoon. We finally get to a bed and uh, the kids are excited because logically we should sleep because there are beds in front of us. And I explained to them how jet lag works and that the rational thing to do a short nap and then get up and go. And so we take a half hour nap and, um, and then we head back into the city and we go to two more museums and we go to dinner and and they come back at 10 o'clock and they, in the last 36 hours of their lives, have slept for like two hours. And, um, and then they go to bed and they slept really well that night. Um, mm-hmm. And during this experience, we had zero tears, zero tantrums, zero complaints. Um, and it's because of the years, um, the investment in, um, 
in making sure that we are teaching the lessons and explaining why we're not letting them sleep. We're not. Oh yeah, you are so good about, I remember this, you were so good about preparing them for weeks in advance. Like, just so you know, this is the flight we booked and this is what we're going to experience. And we're going to tough through it because it's good for us. And, um, and then you get to have that experience and it's a positive and pleasant and wonderful experience at Dublin's great, by the way. Um, and, um, but if you instead just meet every short-term situation and I, and, you know, full disclosure, I've met a lot of situations with my children with the short-term remedy of, you know, pointing my finger and saying, do this now and not explaining myself and, and whatnot. And you get the short-term behavior that you get want. You get the kid to be quiet when you want the kid to be quiet and you get the, you know, toys picked up when they need to be picked up, but you don't teach the broader lesson. Well, then you're going to have to do that again tomorrow. And you get someone who's really not interested in listening to you by the time they're 16. A lot Absolutely. of pre-framing, a lot of pre-framing and investing in the future that every time we, every time that you gather the energy to teach a lesson rather than react in the short term, mm-hmm. that it pays dividends for years in your experience and their entire lifetime. And, uh, you know, we've been woken up at two o'clock in the morning with unreasonable requests and, you know, you're, you're six years old, you can get your own glass of water, but at two o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden I'm getting a glass of water because mm-hmm. I just want to go back to bed. Um, and we've all been, you know, made those uh short-term decisions as well and but every time that you invest in the future it's it's worth it and it pays it pays off in the long run like i said and i can't say it enough um it pays off for your child's whole life and the experience their life experience uh but it also makes your experience during the next 18 years more pleasant as well yeah i think that's that's crucial like yes there is a little bit more work in the beginning but it's so worth it Mm -hmm. okay all right well now it is time for our rapid fire question section you said ready? this would be all about mathematics, I think. Yes. Complicated. <laughs> okay. Resilient parenting is? Really easy. Ooh. No. Was I, did I get it wrong? I think that's the wrong answer. No, it's, it's uh, challenging, <laughs> challenging, but worth it. Okay. Um, adaptable and able to recover. Love that answer. It's better than my answer. <laughs> you guys need your own show. This has been hilarious. Um, <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, okay. I'm grateful for my, my family. family. Oh. The world needs love and light. I'm going to take that one from uh, another person who's road schooling. Love and light. Patience and understanding. Okay. Now this one is for both of you. What's something that you've learned in life that you wish someone would have told you earlier on? That having kids is the most gratifying experience you can possibly have. You know, the last one, I, I had this similar, same question, believe it or not. And it was on a blog with someone who worked as a birth nurse. Mm-hmm. And the one that popped into my head then was much more relevant. And of course now it's stuck in my mind. But I wish someone had taught me that miscarriages were so common. And mm-hmm. I know it really doesn't have a place necessarily in this. No, that's okay. But that's what's in my mind. Um, yeah, I wish I had known that that is a, an experience that many women have and that I could have talked to other people about my experience with them. Mm, that's powerful. Yeah, I mean, that's why we're here, right? Just to talk my, about things. Make life. Yes, yes. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Okay, so where can our audience find you guys online? I know you mentioned the blog earlier, but I want you to mention it again. All of the things. Give us all of the places to find you. So our travel blog as we travel around the world is fivebackpacks.family. 
the uh, website for our book, Resilience Parenting, is resilienceparenting.info. And we're on Amazon and a thousand other places, uh, wherever you look, I hope. And I have to say, I, I really enjoyed talking with you. And it's just been, it's been so exciting to think that perhaps our voices are going to be heard, but more importantly, not our voices, but just the idea that we can be stronger parents. Um, and so the audience knows out there, we are making ourselves better parents through, through talking about this. Oh, it's I the get... worst. She quotes our book at me. <laughs> In chapter four, you said you shouldn't do that. I'm like, oh. It's the... <laughs> and we... I just get so excited by, by the idea of how to, how to do this our very, very best. Mm-hmm. And you have such a beautiful message in your in your blog and podcast, and we just think it's wonderful. Grateful. Well, I'm. Thank you so much. I'm honored to have you both on the show to be spreading this idea to the world. This is definitely an idea that the world needs right now. Um, that would be my answer to that. So, thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for being amazing parents and lights in your own right. So, thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Motherhood Unstressed podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for sharing this with a friend. Thank you for leaving us a review if you haven't already. That's really how the show grows and gets out there to more and more people. We are in countries all over the world and we are spreading and it's because of you. It's because you share it. And uh, if you haven't already, definitely go check out Chris and Holly's blog. It's five family. They are traveling all over the world with their three boys. It's fascinating. And I love people who are really exhibiting exactly what they're preaching about on their platform. They are living resilience parenting every single day. Um, and through their own actions are uplifting all of us. I know I'm going to take away so much from this conversation. I hope you will too. I really hope you enjoyed it. And I hope that it's going to make your family stronger and more positive and better than ever. See you next time.